Welcome to the Dusha Podcast, the place where we help your business become more purpose-driven and explore corporate culture in all of its essence. Today we have a special question and a special guest to answer it. The question is, how does knowledge about tribes and culture itself help us build organizations of today and tomorrow that will prosper and be purposeful? To answer this tough question, we have Itzke Kramer, a renowned corporate anthropologist who has been exploring tribes around the world and has been bringing this knowledge to organizations around the world. We're going to explore how different tribes help us see that culture is shaped by people and how people shape the culture. Find out more in today's podcast. Itzke, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here to talk about corporate anthropology and many more things. Welcome. Thank you. Corporate anthropology. It's the two words that really meet together. And one word is basically more, people are more used to hearing it in corporate world. And unfortunately, it's not the second word. So let me just start by asking this question. What if you walk down the street and you see an HR director or an owner of the business and you're like, oh, I want to meet this guy. And you need to explain to him what does a corporate anthropologist do, does? What, what, what does he do? How do you do it? Is there a way to explain it so that people understand it in business? Yeah, I think I use the tagline a lot uh, that we study how people shape cultures and how cultures shape people. That's basically it. So when the group of people comes together, they have to define what they feel is normal, what is not, what is good and bad and right and wrong. And that process is basically how people shape cultures. And when you live or work in a culture for a long time, the culture will shape you as well because it will give you guidelines on how to behave and what is normal, what's not. So your mind gets shaped by the culture in which you grow up or which you work in. And anthropology is about the process, how that works and how you can change it and how you can um, influence it. And that brings it right in the core of business because uh, if you think about it, organizations is about procedures, uh, it's about choices, it's about money, but that's all based on how you value stuff. So in the core, it is about how to create a culture in which people can thrive because that's why you work with people. So you want to optimize and in which you can reach your goals and targets. So basically every leader should be really involved in how he or she shapes a culture. What I hear from this is that you see, I see the words influence and I see the word culture, but instead of the words numbers or models, I see the word people. And that's what I like to hear about the corporate anthropology because it's focusing on the phenomenon, on the people. And uh, just as a continue, as a follow-up question, can you tell me why is it important for the business to sometimes step aside from the numbers and the models uh, and to focus on the phenomenon on the people? Well, to me, that the people will reach your numbers. So, um, and the people will need a structure and, and ways to do what they have to do. In the end, it's not machines because the machines are operated by people. So uh, by not focusing on people, you're not focusing on the core of your business. And in the end, if you say, well, but it's about my product and I want to reach the sales targets and all that, there's people buying it. So again, it's people focused. So um, if, if I give like a, a short explanation of what culture is, is that I say that nothing has meaning of itself. So if you look around the world, nothing has meaning of itself. Every behavior just is. But we cannot live in a chaos like that. So we define together 
what we think is good and bad and right or wrong and, and true or not true. And, um, and therefore, if you, if you then define together, we find it a good way to have such and so leadership. Uh, then after that, you start creating the frameworks, the procedures and the, the, the tooling to organize your organization. But it's all based on what you think is normal and good. So um, the, the numbers and the procedures are kind of the solidified culture. It's not good or bad in itself. We created it together and you better create something with which people can actually work. So better start with the people. I like where it, it all starts with people though. So there's no point in starting with the numbers, rather starting with people. And that's a great adage to this, uh, you know, the, the whole three systems that there are about the culture. Um, what I would like to catch on that one and continue going that this, this route, you said that nothing takes, nothing uh, has meaning of itself. And that's a beautiful phrase. And I've heard you speak about how people make meaning. And one of the ways they mean, make meaning is through telling stories and perceiving stories. And being a storyteller, I just love it, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> And what I heard you say uh, on one of your talks is that people in organizations and companies themselves, they have 100% bullet point meetings and like less percent of campfire conversations where the, the culture is actually built. And we all get that those conversations are great. I mean, there's a poster of a campfire on your wall. It's obvious they're great and they're useful, but can you have can you give some advice maybe how can we start having those conversations because we see a lot of companies that lack any and that's a tough thing to start with because it's really untypical it's it's abnormal i would say uh, and that that's that's such a shame that it is that way um i think you know we can put tooling in place and make it a bullet point but in the end it starts with are you willing to actually meet your colleague are you you're curious about people's opinions and lives uh do you feel that if you have a decision to make that the contribution of others will improve your decision if you don't believe that then it's very hard to, why would you start a campfire you just decide right um if you believe that it's important to have good relationships with people then you better have conversations because and again, if you like the theory to back this up, then if we think about how we shape cultures, we do that in interaction and decision-making processes. Because if nothing has meaning of itself, we have to create it together. So how do we create it when we meet each other? Uh, whether online, offline, doesn't really matter, but you meet each other and you have conversations about how things should be going. Now then the first question is who can join those conversations? And that is a diversity question. Who can join the conversations in which we decide the norms and values, but also in which we decide where to spend the money on or not? Because those are strategic choices which build our culture. Now, if we, um, if we don't invite other views at those campfires, um, we have uh, less quality in our decision. It may feel easier because you know, there's less uh, contradiction, but those different conversations are still there and will be held at different places in your organization. It's, it will be in the gossip, in the sabotaging, and in not doing, and in talking bad. So you, you better have those conversations at your campfire, at your strategic meetings, at your 
core of your business and therefore diversity, inclusion, making sure you hear everything is, is, is at the core of leadership. Um, and it is having the guts to really listen to people. Now, if you ask me, you know, but it's, it's, it's not what we used to, then I have two questions. One is for leaders, do you have the guts? So how much diversity can you actually handle? That's one thing because you have to deal with all the different views. If not, I think you're not as good as a leader as, as you think you are. The other one is, and that's a, that's a tough one. And I think that's some, a question that everyone needs to answer with their heart. Because it's the question, do you actually believe that other people in your organization, in your management team, in your department, at the, at the shop floor, do you believe that their views are valuable? And, and that's really a question to answer with your heart. Because if you deep down don't feel that they have additional wisdom, then you probably don't start those campfires. Why create all the fuss? Because, you know, if they were as smart as me, they would have my position, right? So if that's the idea, then, then you lose out because um, there are so many views that, that everyone with different backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, men, women, different educational levels, they all have different views to create the best business ever. So if you leave out those views, you're just losing money and ideas. What is the best? Why would you start campfires? Well, one thing is to improve your business and to improve the quality. And, and you could say if you if are you less if you are less into relationships, then you say well, and, and then you improve relationships uh, as well. If you prefer to work from the human relationship point of view, you say well, if you improve the relationships, then in the end, you know, a business growth will follow. It, it doesn't really matter which perspective you take. In the end, we have to do this together. So, but those are two very important questions to ask yourself: How much diversity can you handle? And do you really believe that others have different views that can add to your business? That's great. Speaking about diversity, Itzky could disagree with me, but for me, there is a distinction between practices which improve meetings and we can use for that bullet point, point meetings, the difference between that and the campfire conversations. Well, we have that meeting and chances, for example, we could use the practices from sociocracy 3.0, from like agile or simple rules for holding meetings. And that would work well with the, these bullet point meetings, helping solving business issues and raising efficiency. Whereas the campfire conversations um, will help you when you need to be honest, when you need in-depth talk. And it's not about efficiency for me. So if you feel like such a moment has come and uh, you need to hear the different voices, speaking about the diversity Itsuki has just told us, and you need to make a decision based on that uh, different voices, it is time for a campfire. Uh, returning back to your question, Artem, how to make those conversations and start them? Well, you could take one practices, one practice described in a book adjust it, tailor it for yourself. And well, your HR will be happy to help here. Uh, conduct the first conversation around the campfire, then make a brief retro, understand how, it make, how could you make it better next time, and then continue, continue, continue. So working with the culture is a learn term work, but 
the changes to happen will worth it for me. Yeah, right. thank you. And, and, and I agree, it's, it's the tooling. And I think that we can look at campfire conversations as a one-off or a special event. How I see it, it's a continuous moment where you can to spark conversations. It's like a metaphor which you can use all the time. So even if you have, because let me explain the campfire in the bullet point meeting, because we, we mentioned the terms, but not all listeners or viewers you know, will understand. To me, you have interaction processes. And one type of process is transactional, in which you organize and reorganize what's already been organized. So that's where you make sure you do it very efficient. That's where you have bullet points, tasks, and etc. Also, those those transactional conversations they will um, make sure that the, the culture keeps on going. So you kind of um, stabilize culture in that. You may change it if you suddenly take a different decision because you suddenly allocate the budget to something very different. Then that will create a huge shift. You know that will be disruptive. But basically, transactional is bullet point efficiently make sure you, make, you do it well. And then there is conversations which are called transformational or, uh, conversations. So in the transformational conversations, that's where you have honest discussions in which you can reorganize your own mind and where you can reorganize what's not being organized yet. So, uh, for instance, um, like the world is now uh, influenced by COVID-19. Um, I don't know about you guys but we um are probably confronted with a one and a half meters uh, uh society for roughly the coming year yeah i just had two calls today uh different organizations which have like forty thousand people and only 10 percent are allowed to be on campus for a year so they have to work online also with their students this was an um, um, uh, educational organization we have to work with that. Now we can have bullet point meetings. Someone is, you know, putting out the things and, and making sure, and we, we need to have that. And at the same time, there's, there's such a need for transformational organizations because what does it actually mean that you have to work from home? How do you feel? Um, in this case, it's about the students. How do they feel? They will start their new academic year without meeting any of their other students. How do you create a community feel? People feel lonely. So people have their own household and they stay, they are at home alone. And now for a couple of months have hardly seen people. They're still in lockdown. And others will have their home with uh, teenage kids who are also at home and students who cannot fly out and will stay. And so it has a huge impact. Now in those situations, that's where change pops up because of, in this case, um, uh, COVID-19. Um, but it can be due to other disruptions. And, and when that happens, then you see that the chaos kicks in because we had this notion about good and bad, right and wrong, true and not true, which is a culture, right? And then suddenly uh, now it's wrong to go to work. It's good to stay at home. That used to be different in February. You know, uh, it's, it's bad to shake hands. So it's good not to, that used to be different. So when there is chaos, then we need to redefine what we feel is good and bad, right and wrong, et cetera. So we have to have campfire conversations. And if you don't do that, you lack the, the, the shaping of culture. So as a leader, you, you don't have influence on the conversations. You don't have influence how people experience it, how they talk about it, what decisions they take. So a campfire conversation is 
making sure you can transform the storyline of your organization and therefore transform how you create your products or how you deal with stuff and how you deal with leadership. And then by taking the decisions, because it's interaction and decision-making, in the decisions, you solidify. So you create new procedures, new numbers, new targets, etc. And you have to have that balance. So you have to have the balance of bullet points and the balance of campfire conversations. And, and if, you, if you lose yourself in one of the two, it's usually a bad route to take. Great. Thank you for clarifying. What I get from there is that you need to have both, but there are different tasks that each of these types solve. And one is transformational, one is transactional, and uh, the times that you need to use them are also different. One is for the crises and for chaos, as you said. And yeah, that's a great, that's a great way to get clarity. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, what and, I wanted, and to, add yeah. to, that, to add to that is that you can combine it. So if, you, so if you say, well, in our organization, we don't have time for that. We have back-to-back -back meetings. You don't know what's going on. The train is going. You know, I have to keep on going. Bup, 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 bup. That, that's good. But then create, let's go wild, a 10-minute campfire conversation. You know, or five if 10 minutes is too much. And, and then you just say to each other, well, those coming five minutes, we have the bullet points. We get there. But for five minutes, just speak your heart. How are you? Or speak your heart about what are your concerns in terms of productivity in the organization or what keeps you awake? So you open up the conversation because the campfire is, is a metaphor uh, and you can have it in the hallway. You can have it at the water cooler and you can have it in a very, very formal meeting, especially online, where you start your conversation with what we call a check-in and that's described in the book as well. So it's a check-in where you open up the floor for everyone to, to speak their mind. And the best way to start a campfire and to make it not a useless, well, how are you chit chat, is to open it with a question which everyone is scared that it will be asked, but everyone knows that the question is hanging in the air. So it can either be, how do you look at me as a leader? Because you know people are gossiping about it. Or how do you feel about the choice of closing down that business line? Because you know everyone is talking about it. So you, you pick up the gossip question, you open it up, and you explain it's not to create a solution now. It's not a bullet point thing. Let's open up for a moment and just hear the different views. And that's what I call a campfire. And that's what you can do. Well, you, you can create a whole meeting around that. Or you say, well, we, let's start with that conversation, which is hanging in the air anyway, and open it up. We only have five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I don't know. And from that, we take it to uh, bullet points. And then you integrate it. And that's the wisest thing to do. So I'll explain it, um, comparing it to your family, because that always works. I've got two teenage kids. You know, and, and what would happen if I would only have every two weeks a campfire conversation with them and the rest of the week it will be bullet points. Now, you will know, you will feel that this doesn't work. And then I can say, well, I don't have the time for that. I'm busy. They're busy. So, but then the thing is that if I think about the dinner moment where I eat together with my family, we sit together, I can make it a bullet point dinner. Or I can make it a campfire dinner. The timing is the same. It takes the same amount of time. But the only difference is, is with a bullet point dinner, 
We just eat because we're hungry. We eat, we shove it in, and everyone goes their way. So we reach the target, right? Um, but if it's a campfire, you just say, put your phones down, uh, light a candle, nice music. You sit, you eat, and you ask, how was your day? And how do you feel about how things are going? And, and what's going on? What's going through your mind? What keeps you awake? And you have that. Then the dinner can be, if you want it to be, in the same amount of time, but it's far more rich. And that's what I mean in many organizations. You think you need a bullet point meeting, but in the end, just with some one or two adjustments, you actually have a conversation which will shape your culture, which will shape your relationships. And thinking about your family usually creates a nicer rhythm in the whole scheme of life. Summarizing what Itzki just said, we should start having a camp point or bullet fire conversations. <laughs> it's actually bullet nice fire. that if you say bullet fire, um, I just came across the word in, with one of my, the companies I work for, they call this time of, um, you know, of the lockdown, they call it, they call it a bullet time because the world is getting on hold. So now you have the threshold of making big jumps because you can, you know, it's in the air. So you can, you can move fast and innovate. And, and actually another one is what I notice is that the organizations I work with who actually are already into the habit of having conversations like this, um, and who know how to deal with differences and, and therefore who have diversity within their organizations and who have leaders who have the guts to, to listen to the diversity, they go better and faster in these rapid changing times. So that would be another incentive to, um, to deal with, uh, to make, to, no, not to deal with, to make space and room for different views. Great. I like how you connect those. It's just, you shouldn't perceive them as bullet fire. Like you're going to be fired as the fastest way possible bullet fire. No, that's not the way. <laughs> that's not the way to come And it's it, the question I would like to ask next is a bit more technical. I, I clearly hear that there are a lot of techniques and methods in, in your books and uh, they are translated into Russians. We will obviously have a links to them in the description. But uh, while we are here, some methods are great, but I, I know that people stumble upon the difficulties when they start having the conversations, the campfire, campfire conversations, because I just imagine myself being in a company that I've worked with. It's a, it's a global bank, French bank group. It's more than 5,000 employees. And it had a really, you know, closed out structure, closed out culture where you had to press your key card five times to get out of the room and, you know, five times to get into the room. And if you get it in the wrong direction, so it's, it's just mayhem. I'm just imagining myself sitting there and leader asking me, like, how was your day? How do you feel? And I immediately turned in, like, where's the camera? Like, who's shooting me? Is this, is this, is this a stand-up or what is happening? So... This is a barrier I see, and I just wanted to ask you what barriers you see in your work. And Arsenti, what special barriers are there in Russia in terms of maybe starting this campfire? Oh, there's so many ways to answer it. First of all, I feel so sad to hear that those type of companies still are around. That's the first thing. I think it's about stage setting. So also the people in the organization you described and the other ones, they know how to have those conversations. You know, they have them in their lives. Um, so somehow when you walk into the building, you forget to be human. If, 
in a way, you know. So you 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 take out your your card and you you put in your business code, and there you are. And and it's saddening me because of having to leave that home, um, but also uh, to the organization to have the loss of all the views which are hidden now. So how to do it? It's 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 taking step by step. So doing small conversations and not going all the way or create a way it needs rituals let's let's put it that way so if you think about change we need rituals to go from one situation to the other so in this case it would mean that if you're so used to to task oriented kind of more hierarchical procedures and and, and leadership then if you go to this different moment you have to light the campfire so to speak you have to say Ah, this might be a bit strange, and maybe you think I went on a course and now I do suddenly this weird stuff. But I do really want to know how you feel. So you have to use these landing questions to help to create the setting. Um, the other one is is that if you think about those type of things um, in a training or an offsite, suddenly you are allowed to have those conversations. So it's usually the context. So you have to create the context in which you can do that. So maybe it would work that you have one campfire room where it's in that room, it's okay to have the conversations. And if you walk out, then we act normal again. So maybe you need kind of, I don't know, I'm just looking for, for ways, but from my perspective, what's needed is, is the, the willingness to do it, the honesty to do it. Because if you do it to, to manipulate people, that will backfire in many, many ways. So you do it from an honest perspective and you need to create those small rituals to, to help people understand that this is a different type of conversation. And that's what we call light the campfire. In campfire conversations in which a lot of tensions are needed to be addressed, many times you need someone who can facilitate the campfire conversation because it cannot be the leader. So that's not that's not how you want it to be, but sometimes it is like that. So uh, then you have someone else who who is kind of allowed in the organization to do this weird stuff, and usually we call those people consultants and trainers and facilitators, especially when they are from a different company because they do different strange stuff, and suddenly we do feel okay to use I don't know images and 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 have different types of conversations because. It's in the odd one out. It's not in the regular. It's usually at an offsite, different location, and that's where we can do it. Um, so then the challenge would be to integrate that a little bit more in the day-to-day -day routine because it will just help your organization and make people more feel, uh, yeah, experience it as a more rich environment. I totally agree with it. Kit to like to start that we need to start to build on where we are now to like where we want to be uh it's like you know one of my colleagues he's a trainer he usually gives an example of the meeting that was like it was an open organized meeting for the fast dating and he was the man who is in charge of this meeting and he said that well there is a uh, 50 people in the room like combined men and women Everybody wants to meet each other to start like talking to like create um, a relationship, maybe a family then then, but they 
kept silent unless he, as a trainer, said, okay, from now on, you could talk. Okay, let's go. And then crowd, like, you know, everybody's shooting, everybody's talking, like the whole new life has started. This is like the metaphor for, for work with, with this. Uh, I think it, 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 it's combined with the hidden agenda that we have in the, in the organizations. Well, we all know it is there, but nobody talks about it. And like, we need to start to uncover this thing to like, and to start uh, small. So I totally agree with the, uh, we, we in the training boutique and then the Russian company we work with, we usually uses this check-in and check-out thing, like a pattern, like to start a meeting with the simple question, why, why do you want to be here now? And why do you not want to be here? Well, everybody could say, well, I like you, my dear colleagues, but I have like my children and they are crazy. And I have this thing in my mind that I need to take him from the kindergarten in the, like, in the evening. That fourth is like turning me out of the meeting. And like, then you, you could uh, make some decision like, okay, I will be with you now, but, or, or for example, give me the five minutes now to like, to solve this issue and I will fully be in the meeting and like uncover that hidden agenda works very, very well. And we see some changes in the huge companies in Russia we work with, like now during these COVID-19 times, uh, we start a lot of big uh, sessions from the open talk with the top or with the CEO or someone from, from the top to just simply talk to people, answer their question. And that is raising this honest culture in the companies. And well, Itsuki it's in the Russian railways. Well, if you think, if you're a Russian person and you think of a Russian railways, you think those type of companies, like huge, one million employees. And Itsuki had worked with them in this January. So the fact that they're inviting Itsuki to work with them is some kind of a sign of a change here. Thank you. And I, I like how you clarified that in Russia it's also working. And let me just sum, sum, summarize it real quick. Creating a landing, changing or creating a context of a campfire room. That, that's a great example. Like you go in, there's a campfire basically. And you have to be willing and honest to do it not in a manipulative way. And lighting a campfire, that's, that's really a metaphor I like about it. And I see this, this man that you've described there, Sensi, as the man who just walked up there to every person and lit up their fires. And they just like, oh, now I can do it. And you know what? I have a trick question that just continues this flow. I can feel that there is a barrier that is... Like on, on, one, on one side of the barrier where there is birds and rainbow, there are organizations and leaders who appreciated this, this approach of anthropology and mostly people focus. And they, they do not need any influence to, to them. They just need to be a bit technical and a bit accurate about how they influence people in the campfire conversations, how they create them. And on the other side of this barrier, there's no rainbow. 
like the people are still not ready. And I honestly don't believe that you can take a Molotov cocktail or just a flaming torch, throw it at them and believe their campfire will start because I think the people will burn. So is there a way to pass on a fire, so to speak, without actually burning up the people? You know, being gentle and still like, come on, guys, it's better than here. It's warm and cozy and stuff like this. Yeah, it's a good thing. So a campfire can be very, very small and gentle. It's just a, sm a small spark, um, which can be just by giving someone a smile in the morning or saying hello. It can be very small, but I think the real thing behind this, and that's the, um, I think the challenging bit, is that if we want to have honest conversation, I need to feel safe enough to do so. And therefore, I need to feel and know that my opinion will be appreciated. Uh, and not only appreciated, maybe people will actually use it and do something with it. But for the least, I should not be punished for it. What I come across a lot is that people say, yeah, but if, if I speak my mind, you know, I might lose my job. Or I won't be asked for that specific task force. Or... I would love to tell that person, but I cannot skip lines. I have to go through every management layer and then get to that person. Well, I would just call that person. Um, so, and, and therefore it is linked in on a deeper level. Do you value people? Um, and also linked to, are you, well, that's, that's the question I asked before in, in the beginning. Do you really believe that people have, information and wisdom they carry around or or not for leaders it is tough to change this because if you use to control everything it's it's easier to control a spreadsheet than 10 people with an opinion um, but the thing is you have to be aware that behind the spreadsheet there's always always going to be 10 people with an opinion um, so if you don't take it out in the open, they will, you know, have their opinion anyway and find their ways and usually not very constructive. So, um, yeah, to start it, it, it's helpful if on the management levels, some leaders are willing to do so, you know, then it's easier. If it's not, then everyone can start it by just, you know, starting having their view. What, what I usually say is, if you are willing to take those steps, then, then start asking two types of questions at least three times a day. Is that you are in this conversation as, as a leader or project lead, or, or if you have really the courage as an employee, you ask the question, is there anyone with a different point of view? You literally ask for it, because if you don't, they probably don't express it, take it home and it will be gone, or they don't express it and take it into the gossiping stream and it will find its own way. And you will be very busy dealing with that. Um, but if you ask for someone's opinion or different views, then don't be surprised if the brave ones actually speak up. And now you have it on the table. So then usually what happens if it's different view, then the whole group will roll its eyes or sigh or oh, there's this different view or oh no what it's going to say so you have this well this edgy type of feeling so then the second question is immediately after that is who recognizes this view and by doing that people will nod and say yeah i i me too 
and then you have this this you, you know what the power field is and then you can you then you ask people can you explain a little bit more and then people will start slowly but slowly talk and then you ask again the question so now this is what we hear but is there anyone with a different view and then you hear the opposing view or a different variation and then again you ask different views who recognizes that so those two questions they will create an atmosphere in which you invite other views to pop up and give the safety for other people to express now the main challenge for leaders is that if you proposed something and you think this is a wise thing because you you know you're an important leader and you thought about this very good very long and this is what you propose and then you ask are there any other views then you know there will be different views because we are people we all have different thoughts it's that's just what's natural so then come this opposing view which is not something you were expecting or wanting <laughs> But you committed yourself to asking those two questions. Are there any other views? Yes, there are. And then you ask who recognizes that? And that's a scary thing because if it's opposing to what you feel, then this is the moment you think, oh no. <laughs> but then you do have all the different views. And then again, you can ask who has a different point of view. And by doing that in a honest, neutral way, not by saying so who has different views or you know not by expressing your your dismissiveness but just really being curious what the views are that will create the safety to 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 relist to everything that's a campfire and then in the end when you collected all views you can still say well that's good but we're still going to do my idea that's fine but then you know what the different views are and you can only ask them that would be the third question that would be like a very challenging one that you are able to say what do you need to come along you know what do you need to say yes to my proposal and you add that wisdom that would be if, we need, if you hit that one that that's great or even when you ask for different opinions and you believe that people may have actually wisdom then you may say ah maybe i wouldn't need to change my mind um, and that would be for me the definition of a campfire is that you have the guts and the courage and the willingness to really listen to everyone and to be uh, touched by what people say in your mind and in your heart and that you are willing to change your mind and opinion if needed and that second part is important because if you are willing to be touched and say well that's really great but you never ever change your mind why have come five conversations at the first place? You need to be together. And that's called co-creation, synergy. And if you listen to the word agile, that was what agile leadership is about. Let me just savor this moment when I'm reflecting on the three questions. It feels honestly like Robin Hood is hitting one arrow, then another one in the center of the arrow, that arrow. And then the third one goes right into the center of the first and the second arrow. Like they in, mm -hmm. end up, in each other and they just strike it down. Oh, that's good. Artur texted me uh, a couple of minutes ago. Mark, are you okay? You feel sad? Uh, and actually, uh, from your first answer, I was uh, I, I couldn't stop thinking about these uh, leaders. And is, isn't it uh, everything we're talking about, about, it's about uh, fear of losing power, actually. It's for me because uh, you said about uh, diversity, you've said about uh, 
maybe they are more smarter than me, my employees. So it's uh, simpler uh, to, well, disregard what people are thinking. Uh, and uh, I actually uh, want to help them. What would you advise uh, to these leaders? Uh, how maybe not to lose the power or maybe to lose it and uh, don't think about it because uh, when they when yeah, when everything is based on this uh, power especially in russia uh, you can't include the society or the team uh, to uh, create some you know, powerful decisions that are better than my own yeah it's a good thing i think i think you you hit that right where it in the end it is because if nothing is meaning of itself, we have to create together. The ones who can create the meaning or have definition power, have power. And if you start sharing that, you do lose some of the definition power. And, and therefore, that's a scary thought. I work a lot with uh, the Dutch police force, for instance, and the military, so uh, as well as schools and, and, and corporates and all that. But um, So I do know the power dynamics. Um, uh, the thing is, is that I think it's best and it's more helpful if leaders understand they don't have to have all the answers, but they have to be powerful in their procedures, how to get to the best solutions. So the power lies in their facilitation skills and not in having all the answers. And the power lays in creating this, the atmosphere to have tough conversations and to have the street power to not walk away, but to to be right in the middle of the conflict. And that's where you show your power. So it's not almost not losing power, it's, it's shifting it to something else, to facilitate your organization, your tribe, your team, your, your family, to express the thoughts so you can get to a higher level together. And the leader should do that. And the leader has a view. So if you have an opinion or a solution, give it. I mean, don't leave it out. That would be like that. That would be bad. But give it. And if you don't have it, you don't have to have it. They're all there. They can help you. And what I realize is when I work with leaders who, who dare to take that shift, it's so more relaxing because suddenly you don't have one head. You have like 20 or 100 or thousands. And usually when you open up like that, they are willing to join in. And if you still want to have, you don't have to, to give up your leadership. So you show it in how you organize the conversations. My experience is, is that, that usually people see the leader as way stronger because wow, that one has the courage to stand up and ask other different views and, and actually listens. And then if you have the guts to to include all the views in your decision, it also feels powerful because wow, that, that we are really, you know, involved. And after that, you don't have, you have less work with all resistance and all the, the old strategies of dealing with, because people feel involved already. So in the end, it is more powerful, but it's scary because maybe your, your preferred ideas will change in this process. But if you take your, your rank and your power in how to facilitate that process, you'll still be very strong. And in the end, you can still say, I listen to all views and I decide this. 
But the thing is, if you decide something which is very different from what everyone wants, they probably have pushback, but they would have had that anyway. So now it's now at least you know what's going on. So um, so yeah, it's 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 a different way of dealing with it, and it it's a different way of of using your power. What I usually say is about rank and power is own your rank, share it, and play it. So if you are a leader, own it, be the leader, but own it in a way that you share it, because you being the leader comes with responsibilities. And usually the responsibilities is to get the numbers right and to get everyone home safe and, and have them, you know, feeling like a good way in the process. So, so it, and that means sharing rank in terms of what are your thoughts? If you want agile organizations in which you use all the different perspectives from all different layers in the organization, you cannot do it top down, not listening and la-di-da. And, and again, let's bring it to the families with teenagers. If you want an agile family where everyone can, you know, do their share and you constantly, you know, micromanage everyone, they can't grow up. You still need to take care of your kids when they're in their 40s because they never learned how to be responsible. With When you work it to, to together, you can be, well, in my case, if I... And, and again, we have a different culture. I'm in Holland, so that's a different, probably a different cultural background there. But if I am this powerful mum in this case, and I tell my son what time he needs to be home, and I really repress it, and I, I punish him if he's not there, then it feels really good, right? But usually it's not very effective, and it, it doesn't really um, have improve the mood in our organization at home. So, but if I ask him, you know, what time do you think you should be home? And then he gets nervous. He said, yeah, but I don't know. What, what do I need to negotiate? And then I said, no, just, just tell me what you think is reasonable. And then he gives me a time. And then in the beginning, I said, well, that, you know, after midnight on a Tuesday might not be the best timing, right? So it's not the weekend. And how do we do that? So you have this conversation. And then in the end, he says, yeah. And, he, and, and now after a while, you know, he can just, I said, well, what do you think is reasonable? He said, well, this I think. And then, okay, or not. And, but and and to him that makes me a more powerful mum because he doesn't have to fight with me but i give him the grit in which he can walk and i do the same as an entrepreneur with i have an organization with 12 people they're all professionals you know what to do it's not so it's more powerful to give them space but give a clear grit in if i feel things go wrong i can still step in if this podcast doesn't have any effect i still am going to say that that was useful because i just scribbled a lot of notes on how to raise my son who is not a teenager but that was useful and thank you so much i mean i love how this approach works both ways and how how natural it is to speak about uh having sharing your power in your family and in your organization and I honestly value that people are talking about it because when you are saying that you should share the power, I instantly got myself thinking about the good to great concepts of the mirror and the window and uh, all the other people talking about different aspects of this kind of leadership, the facilitator's leadership, 
which is also a hot topic. But here's the the more basic. I wouldn't I wouldn't say basic, but fundamental part of it. But we we are all already covering it. The balance of the power and the love, the sharing and the deciding. This this different hormones. I would just want to ask you one advice on how to maintain and find and maintain this balance because I know there is a different uh, situation in Europe and in Russia in this matter and in this in this sense Arsenti please be, feel free to join in and you know drop some insights uh, about it so can you evaluate something for us on this matter speaking about the balance between the power and love we see that we have a different situation with the one as far as I know Itsuki working in Europe so she she's basically working with the loving people. You need to like adjust their power side. Well, Iski will speak for herself a little bit later. <laughs> so in Russia, it is basically totally the situation when the management and the um, well, the managers are basically have power, and they are lacking the love side. Um, and what is working for for us? Well, I think it's for me the combination of this these two things, power and love, in one person is like an art. So such people are really, really rare. So uh, what could help here is building a team. And there is a lots of model models of the team roles or etc. And I don't want to go into the details here, but an important position here is like the readiness and even a desire to look for team members who are unlike you. And uh, with the whole complexity and depth of the inclusive dynamics uh, about which Itsuki has a separate book. Well, for example, if you're a strategist and you like seeing far and long-term purposes, find someone who will take care of the operational thing, like who will bring your grandiose plans to the implementation. If you are like more focused on a business, uh, make sure that you have someone in the team who is a person who is responsible for the integration and for like people. And I see lots of this combination where you have two person in the company and they work together. One is for power, one is for love. There is a whole dynamics between them, but somehow they manage, they see like the positive side of each other. And this works really well, even if in our company, in Training Boutique, I see this. Yeah, that's a great advice. That's a great strategy. Thank you so much for sharing. It's okay. If you wanted to add something to this, finding the balance, maybe one advice from you, I would appreciate. Yeah, I think it's like what Asante said is that we in in Europe, I don't know, Europe is, is very divided, but in Holland, yeah, there are small kind of the, the love is more in the um, in the, the main frame. So so we have a country with lots of people on small land and below sea level. So in history we always had to work together to stay uh, dry feet, you know. <laughs> it's like so, so the whole cooperation and joining in together and making sure and, and different religion in a one very small uh, land um, made that we are very much, um, well, have a, a cooperative type of culture in which sometimes it's hard to take the power because if people do, then the, everyone says, well, I, I, well this, this leadership is a role, you know, I, I have a different opinion. So, so then we do have a different culture. Um, 
So finding the balance, I think, look at why, you know, keep the things that work. There's a reason why it is like it is, every culture. So there somehow these answers were found in history. So the things that still work, keep it. You know, it's it's different in different organizations, different families, different cultures. Um, so I don't think there would be like a global best way to do these kind of things. So the balance is always dif different. So in the railways, it's different than in a nursery home. I hope, you know, I hope, I really hope it's different. So you find what works for you. So I think the, the best way is to, as an organization, if you really want to be serious about this, is sit together at, as HR or with the CEOs, the directors, managers, leadership days, and go back to how people shape cultures and say to the question, how we deal with leadership, or to the question, how do we deal with effective decision-making or target uh, settings or anything, any question, what answer did we find? And is it still working? So in terms of leadership, if we found the answer that it should be from a power perspective and it should be top-down and very clear task-oriented and looking at numbers, it's great. It's, it's a good question to the answer, but know that there is thousands of different answers and is our answer still working? Looking at the workforce, looking at the world, looking at the dynamics which are going on, uh, looking at your, your, your business. And if not, then what do we need to change? Uh, and then find the balance that works in that moment. And that will be different from a, a Dutch a primary school and a Russian sales organization. And it should be. So I don't think we should thrive for one best leadership style but we should make it tailor-made in the context and the only thing we should look at is that there should be a, 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 a balance or a dynamic around power and love around task and relation around bullet point and campfires and it just depends on the organization what the balance should be and in time you need to change it and the only thing i've seen in, in different places in the world is somehow we managed to get a really out of balance in terms of how much people focus we end up with, ended up with. Um, so I think uh, in general, most organizations drifted towards too much PowerPoint, spreadsheets, etc., and forgot that there's people involved because like I said, uh, a spreadsheet is easier to manage and control than 10 people with an opinion. But in the end, there's 10 people. And, and I think if we think about the, the times we live in globally, people want to be seen. I think that's something which we have to deal with. And, and to me personally, I think that's a good thing. Thank you. I somehow feel that I have way more questions, but those questions bring me not the right answers, but the way to think and to find those answers. Thank you so much. That was a pleasure to experience this. And uh, I, I honestly feel a bit, a bit more wise somehow after this, after this conversation we've had. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure. If there's anything else you would like to advise or the, to, to, to the leaders and the uh, HR and the people look, listening to us, like one final advice for the people who are, reaching out to a better culture at their organization yeah be nice and be optimistic 
Perfect. <laughs> nice and optimistic. That's something we really need right now. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and uh, I really wish you stay safe and your loved ones also stay safe. Arsentis, thank you so much also for joining us and bringing us the Russian uh, cultural concepts of how it is. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.